kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night. It's a little bit past six, and it's another edition of Auntie Nanny. And with me this evening is the bubbly and vivacious and happy Miss Jeannie Kay. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> and the best technician, the best sound engineer that money can't buy, which is good because I don't pay him. Very. How are you this evening? Very. Fine, we've got a rainstorm happening. Yeah. If you hear if you hear loud booming in the background, don't worry, it's just another thunderstorm. Yeah, that well, the don't. The few days. Uh, my my idiot neighbor. Um, yeah, he 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 is testing the bass on his new Kenwood car stereo. And I'm not impressed. So if you hear that, um, some Kenwood. sort of noise in the background, that's probably what, what is. Cheapskate. <laughs> got flooded into camp last week, Barry. Pardon? Yeah, we got flooded into camp. <laughs> Did you have a canoe? Uh, well, yeah, we, well, yeah, canoe, the job boat, the boat, and the jet ski. But no, the um, the driveway um, into camp comes like thirty yards down over this bank. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it we got like. I don't know, eight inches of rain in 12 hours. Yeah. So, yeah, the driveway coming down into camp was a sub-river joining the main river. It was kind of entertaining. Well, my, my local supermarket was flooding yesterday. Oh, God. Heavy rain, yeah. It's yeah, usual. you get the it's, best it's, of everything there. Though. It's a chain store, Tesco, you may have heard <laughs> of it. Yeah. Big flat roof buildings in Scotland. <laughs> Really I think everything well. can be built like it is here in the south in the United States and it can't be. Yeah. So yeah, they, they have trouble every time there's really heavy rain. Mm. Which uh, probably means they're flooding again right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds promising. Uh, <laughs> not quite sure what to say about it. Hopefully my sound sounds a little bit better than it has. And I don't think it's fading in and out, which is a good thing. Yeah. So, um, thank you to the anonymous person who gave me a microphone. It works great. And thank you to Jeannie and Reggie for helping me test sound. 
uh, and work through all the weirdness. Okay. Um, so if you've been, I don't know, if you've been paying attention to stuff that hasn't been going on in the news, um, you probably don't know that 30 minutes ago Greece told the people living there that they were not allowed to go into their own safety deposit boxes. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, stuff's been happening in a pretty bad way there. And, you know, once one domino goes, the others start to fall with it. Which is why um, I know I keep talking about money is not what we think it is. We really need to have a, a talk about money. Um, and really the best thing you can do is invest your money in, in tangible things. Don't put your money under your mattress. Don't bury it in your backyard, although you will still need money to live. So it's probably not a bad idea to have a, a decent amount of cash with you while cash is still accepted if things were to go to shit. So on that happy note, um, I want to talk about what it looks like in the grocery stores in Greece. And then I thought Jeannie and I could talk for a couple minutes about other things. Um, sugar, <laughs> flour, rice, panicked Greeks stock up on essentials. And we, you, what you need to see are the pictures of these grocery stores that are completely freaking empty. Greeks were hoarding cash and food Sunday amid mounting fears that the economy could collapse, could collapse. Yeah. Cracking open their wallets only to stock up on essentials and stripping supermarket shelves in the process. Mothers, elderly men, and university students were spotted pushing heavily overloaded trolleys out of or coming out of shops weighed down by bags of food with essentials such as sugar, flour, and pasta on the top of the list. In the well-off areas of Glothadia? I, I'm sorry, I'm sure somebody will yell at me for butchering that. In Athens, residents appeared to have panicked, thrusting everything from vast rolls of toilet paper to multiple packs of lentils into their carts. Most people are buying food now because they fear the worst, said Andreas Kotaris, a 51-year-old who works in finance. Referring to a referendum Sunday, which we all know that got a big fat no, on Greece's bailout, which could seal its financial fate. AFP photographs showed rows upon rows of empty shelves in supermarkets, and shoppers said they were taking no chances, snapping up canned milk, chocolate, and rice, anything non-perishable that could be stored. Middle-aged shop, toy shop assistant Marlena, who was praying for customers on what is usually the busiest day of the week, said her family was buying food, only food, nothing else, only what was necessary. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, Nicholas, yeah. Okay, somebody from the, from the Exporters Association told the AFP that certain supermarkets are very concerned because they cannot forecast how the situation will evolve. Stocks of meat, cheese, fruit, and vegetables risk running low in the following weeks, he said, and there are runs on medicines. Um, reports that medicines were also flying off the shelves were supported by pharmacist Yanis something. Priorities were food and medicines, and he had seen an increase in customers in the pharmacy. Although the boost in business was welcome, he said, if the banks did not reopen on Tuesday, I don't know how we're going to work. If companies will provide medicines with anti-bailout no voters tied neck and neck with the yes camp, fears a financial disaster may be brewing were compounded by a frustration over the decision taken by many shops to refuse card payments. 
with government-imposed capital controls capping ATM withdrawals at 60 euros, $67 per day. The number of banknotes in circulation has dropped dramatically, especially the new smaller denominations. Customers want to save their cash, but businesses are also desperate to get their hands on it. Fortunately, we have learned to live with less money, said Marlena, because the last four to five years were very difficult for most of the people. But we have needs. We adjust, of course, but we cannot go any further, she said. This is just really sad. Janie, your thoughts? I think it is unfortunate that a country can go belly up. I think it is even more unfortunate that people have to worry about being able to feed their family. Yeah. And, you know, Jim, when I came back from camp mm-hmm. and I walked out to see if my systems needed water to them, mm-hmm. we had gone for nine days and... um some of them were low, but they didn't need refilled. They weren't empty. Um, I have to say that I was thrilled that I could go out and count how many tomatoes that I have getting mm-hmm. ready to turn on the vine, how many spaghetti squash that I have down there that are that needed slings put around them so that they could grow some more. Right. And that all of that cost me was a dollar ninety nine a package for seeds. You know, here's the thing. Seeds are a tangible asset. Yes, sir. Um, and if you have the slightest inkling your government's going to go belly up, you should be planting shit now. Not yesterday. Don't, don't now. Go. Don't wait. I mean, I am sorry. And, and I don't mean to, to say that somebody's an idiot. And I don't necessarily think he's an idiot. I just think his idea of stocking up on gold and silver... Is fucking pointless. Um, I can't feed my husband and my children and my grandchildren. Right. Gold and silver. Um, no. If you if that's what you want, if that's what somebody wants to prepare with, is by by hoarding precious metals. Be my guest, but don't poke fun at me for the fact that I grow food. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Precious metals are only going to take you so far because everybody knows you can buy a quote-unquote bar of silver or a bar of gold and the core is lead. I mean, it's happened in China. It's happened everywhere. And it's happened to the best of the best of buyers out there. And it's constant. There, If you're going... Let me offer you this advice. If, if you're going to stock up on precious metals, do yourself a favor and make sure it's coinage. Okay? And, and the reason I say that make sure it's coinage is because there's going to be some... When society starts doing what it's going to start doing there, um, there's going to be some dim part of people's brains that remember that coinage equals money. And you're going to go a lot further providing for your family with that than you are with a bar that may or may not be counterfeit. Well, Just saying. And you have a lot of people that are like, oh, well, this is Greece. Um, wait a fucking minute. Greece has been a civilization way longer than we have. So if it can happen to one of the oldest civilizations, it can happen to anybody. And well, we're all connected now. Uh, all money also, is ones and zeros in computer yeah. systems. It's not what you think. It's Greece a global economy, and yeah. when one part of it starts to do a death roll, mm-hmm. 
Others yeah, I mean, are going to follow. In, right. in Europe, in Europe, Greece is the worst. But you've also right. got Portugal, Spain, Italy, um, and Ireland are all in dire straits as far as money oh, yes. goes. So it's, yeah. it's hardly it's, oh, it's just Greece. It's not an isolated <laughs> thing. Survive very. <laughs> people in people in Ireland have been fighting for survival for a very long time. Yeah. Um, you know they most of those people could survive, and you have a lot of people here in the United States saying, "Well, people in Greece can fend for themselves." Well, yes, they can. But if you know, if you were to put New York City in a post-financial crisis station of this country they would all starve to death yeah well you know i mean here's the thing um you can be surrounded by water but have no way to make it drinkable for yourself um you know you can have a bunch of seeds in your apartment but have no heat or light source to take care of them i mean these are things you can invest in now you can invest in ways to purify water if, God forbid, something ever happens. Because I, I remember saying this a long time ago, and I stand by it. Everybody says if the government um, is going to come after the American people, the way they would do it is, is to cut off the electricity. And I, I kind of completely disagree with that. If the government wants you to follow whatever they say they want you to do, all they have to do is shut off the water, and they have the means to do it. So I'm sorry for that happy little thought, but it crossed my mind just now. <laughs> Not that they would ever do that, right? They're totally looking out for our best interests, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. That was a joke, right? That was a joke, yeah. No, that was... <laughs> I was, like, poking fun at myself, sounding all paranoid, like... <sighs> like something's going to happen. And I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but I still stand by what I said to you. Uh, sometime in October, you're really going to see, you're really going to see some shit happening from this stuff. I really believe that. What happened with Greece is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And then, of course, after Greece had its no vote, look at what happened to the Japanese, uh, the Chinese stock market. It lost more than half its value. More than half. All that money is just gone. Gone. Like it never existed. And there are people who are devastated, and I'm sure they're jumping out of open windows in China. It's These are not good positions to be in. If you've got money, take it and invest it in taking care of yourself and your family. That's the best advice I have to give anybody. Would you agree? When yeah. when we were growing up, you know, it was god awful that my mom and our neighbor Judy and the Cookie and Jerry they all made us kids peel apples. So when you know when they were making apple pie filling and canning it, and it was just this fate worth and death to have to help skin the tomatoes after they blanched them. Right, I'm really thankful for that now. You know, do I have to grow our own food? No, I don't have to grow all the produce that I do. We could, we would be okay without it. There would be a lot of things that we weren't able to go and do. 
mm-hmm. that we have the extra money to do now. Um, so I am really glad that I learned how to do all of that stuff. Right. And what I find is really funny is because my kids were never made to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of funny that my kids are all like, oh, hey, you need help doing that? Oh, I'll help you do that. You know, it. but that's a good thing. Um, okay, so what happy story do we want to hit from here? We just talked about China. That's good. Um, so I thought this was... This is unintentionally funny. As Greece falls in Arias, one man wants to crowdfund the 1.6 billion... Is that pounds? Barry? That's the euro sign. Oh, okay. That's the 1.6 billion euro payment. British campaigner organizer. Right. Come on, guys. Let's just get this shit sorted. Greece needs a hand, man. Remember that time it bought you the seeds of democracy? Remember that night you were going to order pizza again, but instead you called up some friends and ended up having a great time at that new Greek restaurant down the street? And need Greece remind you that those faux iconic columns outside of your dentist's office were invented by it? Well, now the banks are coming knocking, and it would be really cool if you could all chip in like three euros each for Greece, your buddy. Or at least that's the pitch being made by Tom Feeney, a London shop worker who started a campaign to raise 1.6 billion euros. That's U.S. 1.78 billion dollars. Feeney's Indiegogo campaign started two days ago and has already raised, well, it raised a decent amount. It's not going to make a dent. Um, four hundred and seventy-eight, five hundred seventy-five euros from more than thirty thousand people. All this dithering over Greece is getting really boring. Feeney wrote on his Indiegogo page, "Why don't we, the people, just sort it instead?" He added that to come up with one point six billion, every member of Europe would only have to give three euros each. Well, technically, you'd only need to collect from members of the European Union. That's not even counting any potential generous Swiss or Norwegian people. <laughs> so, so I can't even read the rest of this. It's just too ridiculous. But um, if you're interested in attempting to help bail out Greece, I guess there's a link. I don't... I I still think it's ridiculous. But um, so, yeah. Although I do understand it. Um, I know, and it, and it has a Twitter page. Here's the Twitter page. <laughs> uh, I um, I understand it. I I know when people's student loan debt was going uh, up for sale. What members of Occupy did was they pulled money and they bought that debt and they tore it up, so that people are never like lifelong enslaved by their debt. Which is kind of nice, and I understand the philosophy behind what this man wants to do. I just think he's going to have a very hard time with that. Um, very, even if he were to, through some miracle, raise that kind of money, would they even take that bailout payment from not the source? Do but you know? 
Did you read the end of that? It says, no there was a small Greek island on offer for anyone who came in with the 1.6 billion. Uh, I thought Mr. Tapresi would happily accept that, but Indiegogo emailed me to say that as the Greek government had not officially agreed to do this, I wasn't allowed to offer it. A Greek lady <laughs> emailed me to say she found that perk offensive, which I apologize profusely for. I certainly didn't mean offense. I was only thinking something about the size of Inmarok off the coast of Scotland, which I'd definitely sell if it saved the British economy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it, Barry? Yeah. Plus, yeah, Scottish islands, you really don't want to own one. Unless you're really into cold, wet rocks. And then it ends with, uh, this afternoon, the International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, declared that Greece was officially in arrears, but it has not yet declared that Greece is in default. Technically, the IMF could offer Greece an extension of its debt payment obligation. On July the 5th, the country will hold a national referendum. Oh, we saw that yesterday. (laughs) Whether to sign a deal demanding even stricter austerity from the nation. If they can't fucking pay you, you dumb motherfuckers, they can't pay you. Okay, you now owe us more money. Oh, yeah, that you can't pay us. Um, so, we, I think we were talking about this last week. Didn't Greece cancel part of Germany's debt before that it was owed for reparations for World War II? And yet... Germany is not willing to allow Greece the same sort of thing. It's just kind of funny to me, you know. Well, Everybody's I, I, so I afraid of what's going to happen. But some of Greece's debt was already written off, so yeah. <laughs> it's no, but it's not enough. Why no. should people? Why should you know we the people and you the people and everybody else the people? Learn to live within our means when none of our governments have ever done it themselves. Well, yeah, it was it was pointed out this week to some somebody, I can't remember where it was, it was either Twitter or somewhere like that, there, there was a, uh, one of your US people really go, having a go at Greece about the debt mm-hmm. when somebody else pointed out to them uh, that China the owns our fucking country? Shitloads <laughs> more debt than Greece ever did. Um. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Discounting war reparation payments, okay, mm-hmm. and rebuilding countries' payments after wars. When people borrow from the banks, the further back you go through history, and when I say people, I'm, I mean governments, not people. When they borrow from the IMF and the World Bank and stuff, they don't pay that shit back. No. It's just a recycling debt thing. You know, and I don't know. It just kind of strikes me funny that when I look at the history of the euro, it was obvious that um, it, it had to be started to try and start like a debt consolidation, okay, for that area of the world. And yet it was never talked about. So when it needs to be talked about, everybody's like, oh, no, 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 no. And that's, I don't know, it's what should be being talked about. Well, let's face it, that, that's it's right back at the start is where the problem is. Well, we need they to let Greece join te- the euro. Uh, 
and and completely believed Greece <laughs> when it said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we've got all this stuff. <laughs> we'll, we'll be fine." So you they almost... joined, got given loads of money because they're now in the next mm-hmm. Euro group, uh, which gave them preferential loans. And yeah, where are they now? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a lot of the problem is the same is it's the same as it always is. Whenever a country is given aid or money or loans, none of that ever sees the hands of the people. No. It always sees the hands of the corrupt people at the top. And then the corrupt people at the top wash their hands of the situation and just leave the people on the hook for it. And it's always been this way. I mean, I and the only people who've had yeah. the balls to do anything about anything like this are Iceland. Yeah. I did make a joke earlier today as well. Uh, okay. Well, that's not that's... really a joke. I'm like, <laughs> just think how bad the Greeks would be if, you know, if Vapors hadn't been buying all the Golden Greek and Caravellas. And, yeah. <laughs> I think their whole yeah. economy must have been just running on mods for the last couple of years. It's a scary fucking thought, isn't it? Yeah. People complain about all these, you know, expensive um, tube mods from Greece. It's like, seems like it's the only money they've had coming in. Sad. It really is sad. You know, um, this is what happens when you allow... When you allow central planning to take over how things should be. Well, central planning does work, but only if you do it properly. Not there. I think ah. one of the one of the requirements for being a politician should mm-hmm. be a degree in mathematics. Well, yeah, but you should also have to know your country's history. Yeah. And have read whatever sort of founding constitution or founding document you have. I don't think fucking anybody's read that here. Well, well, in a, in a way, Greece is going back to really, really traditional banking practices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look at medieval history, uh, UK especially, uh, right. we had a bunch of kings that were very good at borrowing money from banks. Mm-hmm. And then when the bank asked for the payment back, the king went, no. <laughs> <laughs> and there wasn't really a lot the bank could do about it. Times have changed, but yeah. But back then, you, you did not tell Richard the Lionheart, yeah, we're coming to seize your goods. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is that the corrupt people at top just keep taking. Yeah. You know, and it's the little people that wind up paying for it. And it, it's happened there. It's happening in other countries. And it's going to happen here as well, too. So, I mean, that's just the facts. Well, it's, it's been happening of- in the UK for the last five years. Uh, yeah. We've got at least another five years of all oh, the yeah. poor people paying for the rich people to mm-hmm. go. So, yeah. Ah, the grand old tradition. Um, so, uh, on that cheerful note, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure people weren't expecting that tonight. <laughs> I know you were expecting oh, cheerfulness. This is more depressing than normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I want to throw myself out the window. Um, that's because two weeks ago you we did kind of an easy show. Remember, it wasn't bad though. I mean, I, I made a I made a choice to make it not bad. Um, this this week I I didn't actually have a choice. Um, let me see if I can find something small and pithy. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, NSA, despite claiming it doesn't engage in economic espionage, engaged in economic espionage from the oh look at that department. The NSA has long claimed that it does not engage in economic espionage. NSA and Defense Department officials have repeatedly insisted that while they do lots of other things, economic espionage is not on the list. The Department of Defense does engage in computer network exploration, according to an emailed statement from an NSA spokesperson whose agency is part of the Defense Department. The department does not engage in economic espionage in any domain, including cyber. These are the claims made in a strange attempt to suggest that the NSA is somehow better than those like the Chinese who absolutely do engage in economic espionage, looking for corporate secrets and the like. Of course, it's not entirely clear why not engaging in economic espionage is such an important moral argument for the NSA, but at the very least, the agency claims it has its limits. Of course, it's already been pretty clear that this was more hot air than reality from the NSA anyway. Soon after the first Snowden leaks came out, it was suggested that there was evidence of economic espionage against Germany. Later revelations showed what appears to be economic espionage in Brazil. And on top of that, we wondered why the U.S. trade rep is listed as a customer of NSA intelligence if it wasn't doing economic espionage. Oh, and let's not even mention that former CIA boss and Defense Secretary Robert Gates has admitted to trying to do economic espionage, but stopping because the U.S. wasn't very good at it. Anyway... With all of that, it should be obvious that, of course, the NSA engages in economic espionage. But as if to highlight this even more strongly, WikiLeaks has now released more documents showing pretty clear economic espionage in the forms of snooping on French finance ministers looking to get information on French export contracts for trade and budget talks. As with the initial revelation that the NSA was spying on the French government by itself, I don't find this too concerning. Government spying on other governments is kind of how it goes. But it is notable that there is more evidence of economic espionage when the NSA is so insistent that it absolutely never engages in such tactics. It seems likely that the out of the NSA would claim here that it doesn't do economic espionage in the form of spying on companies to try to get their secrets. But it does other forms of economic espionage by spying on government officials engaged in trade deals and such. That seems like a distinction without much meaning. The, the personal guide is, <laughs> if there is an agency that's claiming it doesn't do something, and they do so repeatedly, it's because they're doing it. Oh, it's because that's they're simple. doing the hell out of it. <laughs> uh, but I did, I did like mention the mention of the CIA, because, yeah, the CIA is probably pissed that... You know, <laughs> But, I yeah, would think yes. so. Economic espionage, that's our job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. We don't we don't do economic espionage. We're gonna claim it fifty two times, but of course that means we really do it. Yeah. So So that's not you know, I'm is anybody even surprised? Yeah, I think if they just keep saying the words economic espionage that they think that they will lose all effect. Well, it's funny because there are actually studies that say if you tell a person something eight times on the eighth time, they actually believe you. I don't know. They, they, Maybe they it's just... They haven't met many Scottish people. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I think they're talking about uh, people who can't look up from their cell phones. You know, yeah. you can ask any mother on the planet and they will tell you that's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I'm just saying, I think maybe whoever wrote that study actually convinced the government that it's true. Evidently, yeah. it's a but kid, course, not a mom. Who's ever <laughs> going to believe the NSA ever again anyway? Because they've spent years saying they're not spying on their own citizens. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out, yeah, we, we, we've we been listening to everything. Yeah. So yeah, um, they have they have no credibility whatsoever in any statement they make now. Um. Yeah. No. It it's pretty much. It, it's just hard to believe. Is is all it is. Um. Let's see. Oh. Um. GCHQ did spy on Amnesty International. I don't know if anybody knew that, even though they said they didn't. Have you have you noticed a trend? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm, I'm, it is unusual for the GCHQ to actually say they haven't done something. Normally, they just don't that, comment at all. Yeah. Okay. GCHQ did spy on Amnesty International. Secret Tribunal admits. Uh, the Investigatory Powers Tribunal, which provides oversights for UK intelligence services, admitted yesterday that its judgment made on 22 June wrongly failed to declare that Amnesty International had been subject to unlawful surveillance by GCHQ. The IPT revealed that in an email sent to 10 NGO claimants involved in an earlier legal challenge to the UK government over surveillance. As Amnesty International exclaimed, today's communication makes it clear that it was actually Amnesty International Limited and not the Egyptian Initiative for Personal Rights that was spied on, in addition to the Legal Resources Center in South Africa. The Intercept, and it has a copy of the email that was sent to these NGOs, which shows that the IPT made the finding that there had been a breach by virtue of exceeding time limits for retention. Isn't that lovely? The communication files were kept too long. That is, as far as the IPT was concerned. Spying on one of the world's most respected NGOs was not in itself problematic. That's, that's great. Sally Shetty, Amnesty International Secretary General, commented, The revelation that the UK government has been spying on Amnesty International highlights the gross inadequacies in the UK's surveillance legislation. If they hadn't stored our communications for longer than they were allowed by internal guidelines, we never would have known. If the records had been destroyed according to the rules, the IPT would have made no determination as to whether surveillance had taken place. It's standard way of neither confirming nor denying allegations that spying has occurred. Shelley went on to point out, it's outrageous that what has been prescribed as being the domain of despotic rulers has been occurring on British soil by the British government. The rationale for intrusive surveillance of the kind carried out by GCHQ is generally that it is only directed against serious threats to the UK public and society, and that it is always proportionate and necessary. It's hard to see how the UK government can seriously claim that Amnesty International is a threat or that spying on them is proportionate. Thoughts? Are they, like, trying to imply that Amnesty International is a bunch of terrorists? Uh, you know, that's what I can't figure out. They're, they're a your bunch thoughts? of troublemakers. 
that's how the UK government looks at it. They're troublemakers. They yeah. don't like people being kept as political prisoners. Oh, you see, it's inconvenient if you want to keep political prisoners, if there's an agency out there that's against it. But you do notice the completely <laughs> stupid thing that this has only come to light because of a clerical error on the yeah. part of GCHQ. Yeah. They kept some records too long. Otherwise, nobody would have known anything about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, well, that's that, the way things that are done That'll learn you not to keep house. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's well, how it works in the UK. Well, you would have to pay somebody. They, they completely deny everything because, yeah, they destroy records. <laughs> so well, they have complete some... deniability. They're like, no, we didn't do that. Prove it. <laughs> we didn't do that. Do you see any records that say we did that? No. Yeah. Then we they didn't do it. It didn't happen. Yeah. That, if you that's can't what the prove UK it, specializes then... in really. Yeah. Which is why, yeah. The leaks about GCHQ were not a huge surprise to me. Uh, they've been doing it for a very long time, and as I say, if it wasn't for the fact Snowden had copies from the US spy agencies, <laughs> yeah, the UK well, copies will have been long gone on a lot of the spying they've been doing. Well, you know, my mother accused me of something one time, and I was stupid enough to look at my full-blooded Italian mother and say. If you don't have a Polaroid, Mom, it didn't happen. <laughs> I got smacked. <laughs> and and she meant it when she smacked me, let me tell you. Yeah, and, well, I don't blame her. Yeah, I, I deserved it. <laughs> I deserved it. I'm just trying to point out that just because somebody doesn't have proof that you did something doesn't mean that the both of you don't damn well know that you did it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, nobody can slap GCHQ. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's kind of how it goes, um, which is, you know, just abnormal and and weird. But that's that's how kind of how the government does things. We're not doing anything. I just saw you do it. Do you do you have any documents? No. See, you know luckily, luckily, spy agencies aren't like I was when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, I was the youngest, and I used to make sure any, any uh, evidence of wrongdoing led to one of my siblings, not to me. Um, <laughs> but, but luckily, yeah, these spy agencies don't seem smart enough to do that. So, yeah. Do you think we have time to talk about Spain? Well, I'll just be quiet and not derail you. <laughs> you, you don't need to derail me because I think I'm going to start screaming. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Mm. Under Spain's gag law, which we've talked about before, Lemas, where they actually have to go around and protest in the form of holograms, <laughs> um, covering the news could cost you. Protesters march and carry banners reading freedom and politicized police. No as they protest against the public security law in Madrid, Spain. One evening last month, a police helicopter swooped over my neighborhood of mid-sized apartment blocks in Barcelona. The city has very little street crime. L.A.-style police pursuits coordinated by helicopters overhead are exceedingly rare. The police helicopter is flying low enough that my windows rattled. I walked to a plaza near my house where the helicopter was hovering. 
a bystander said a demonstration near the plaza had become violent and a group of vandals had shattered the windows of a neighborhood bank. Police were looking for the perpetrators. A few minutes later, a van pulled up and six riot cops in helmets and body armor leapt out. The cops ran aggressively at a group of young people nearby who screamed and put their hands up. The cops had batons out and one was swinging a gun used to fire tear gas or non-lethal projectiles. I raised my phone to take a picture. Then to my surprise, I lowered it. That is partially because the police eased off at the last minute, searching the suspects respectfully. Their backpacks turned out to be full of snacks. But the other reason I hadn't snapped the picture was that I realized it would be hard to publish. A new law taking effect in Spain today could subject its publisher to 30,000 euro fine. The so-called citizen security law makes it illegal to decimate pictures, video, and other content deemed damaging to Spain's police and security forces. Coinciding with a wave of demonstrators over austerity programs and bank bailouts, the law criminalizes demonstrations in front of some government agencies and public buildings and includes stiff fines for documenting the police response. In a written statement, a key Spanish legal organization, I can't even read that very... Colegio oh. del Abogados de Madrid. The Madrid Lawyers Association called the law an arbitrary and unjustified restriction of freedom to information that employs unclear legal concepts, allowing police and security forces to use excessive and illegitimate force with impunity. The law doesn't appear targeted at mainstream international media like the BBC or CNN, who don't cover Spain daily anyway. A reporter here on assignment for a few weeks isn't likely to notice that. But for the domestic media, Spanish TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, and also foreign-based here full-time, it's now part of the legal framework. It will also restrict protests by political organizations and NGOs and press coverage of those actions. The day before the law took effect, activists from Greenpeace's Spain chapter climbed a crane towering over the Spanish parliament and hung a banner opposing the law. Video of the protest, which aired on the website of the national newspaper El Mundo on Monday, includes a brief confrontation between a police officer and a Greenpeace member holding a sign. In theory, both that protest and shooting a video of it are legal in Spain as of today. The law has been challenged in Spain's Supreme Court, which is yet to announce whether it will hear the complaint. Meanwhile, it has already changed how a journalist like me covers a sudden police presence in a Barcelona neighborhood. A few weeks after the incident in the plaza, I called Elisa Ganales, president of Spain's Federation of Journalists, the main professional organization for the 21,500 accredited reporters in this country of 46 million. The association opposes the citizen security law, which opponents refer to as Le Mazdra or the gag law. Gondola said she was less concerned about journalistic self-censorship like mine than about prior restraint by the police. What if I had shot a picture and the police officer who appeared in it, I'd have aimed at a guy with a gun, demanded to look at my phone to decide whether to ticket me for the image. At what point have you broken the law, Gondola said, when you haven't published anything yet? The law also appears to lump reporters together with demonstrators by criminalizing free assembly with fines as high as 600,000 euros, the law also names reporters covering those demonstrations as complicit. By taking a picture of a crowd 
of crowd control officers at a protest, I, like the demonstrators, could be accused of illegal acts towards state institutions. That, gondolas argued, could empower the police to look at its imagery or notebooks right out there in the field before publication. The law doesn't say so, but it's imprecise. You can't count it out, she said from phone, uh, by phone from Madrid. How do they know if something concerns them if they don't look at the image before it's been broadcast? It's, it goes on and on. And on. Yes. But that's just an example of a really bad law. Well, Spain, as said earlier, is nearly as deeply in the shit as Greece. Yes. Uh, and I think they are harking back to the 70s. I think they're missing being a dictatorship. It's... It scares me. I mean, we talked about last week these laws that are coming up against journalism. Journalism sucks today anyway. You very rarely get any story that tells you anything. And when you do, I mean, you count yourself lucky to find it, right? Um, But part of the reason that journalism sucks is for reasons like this. Janie, go ahead and say something if you want to. We've got plenty of time. I didn't read the whole thing. I couldn't. It just breaks my heart. Nope. I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to type an answer in chat to Costello, and you know I can't talk and type at the same fucking time. <laughs> keep trying it. It's okay. Um, but yeah, that was... part, part of the problem in Spain is <laughs> quite recently, yeah, they were a dictatorship. People seem yeah. to forget this. They haven't actually been a democracy for that long. And I think many of their ruling cadre, shall we say, are kind of missing the totalitarianism of uh, a dictatorship. So they keep Uh. drafting these laws, because this is only the latest one in Spain. They've had other increasingly... I mean, they are some of the most clamped down on laws in Europe. Well, they're they're increasingly draconian yeah. every year, and it's just it's funny to me. How can you call that a de- how can you call this a democracy? Yeah, we've got well, the same the whole, sort of the whole thing. Western I mean, world is slowly was, heading that way, but Spain right, is but accelerating. What right, but what I'm saying, I mean, here. Oh just, Jesus yeah. Christ, Jen! Don't say democracy in this country. Don't say <laughs> that because you get in big trouble for that shit. Well, I, I mean, we're, statement we're, about well, if. If some if a state wants to do something, they should put it to a public vote and go with the majority rule because that's what a democracy is. And I got a fucking message about being a racist bitch. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How the hell did me saying state should put it to a vote lead to that? But it does. Oh. You have to be you have to be really careful. Even in a country that is supposed to be a democracy, um, stating that things should be decided under the rules of democracy is often frowned upon. Well, the reason I said we're allegedly a democracy. This, I just read this today. I stuck it in the chat. So I want you wrap your head around that if we're all in these countries living under a democracy 
how the fuck does the government get away with passing shit like this? Do we really not care that much? Well, because you got a bunch of politicians and a bunch of major news outlets that will spin it to make the mass populace think that, well, we're only going to stomp all over these little guys over here and that's not you, so you should just... (laughs) But that's the thing. That's the thing with all of the stories we talk about, all the stuff we talk about. Even if it's something that happens and it starts with a prison population, a a group of people that society has decided they have no time for and they want nothing to do with, eventually that same sort of um, behavior, that same sort of idea will make its way out of working in the prison and, and come out into our lawmakers' brains somehow. You know, and they'll use it on society's undesirables. They always do. What happens when you run out of undesirables? Who's next? It's us. It's always us. It's always the normal people who are doing nothing wrong that are going to get swept up in this crap until there is no one who is not a criminal. This is why we need to really think about this stuff and talk about it. If we don't talk about it now, in six months, we might not be able to. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, you you have to be careful in the U.S. Because, yeah, you already have a country that really, really loves locking people up. Yeah. Um, Yes, you're, you're the largest democracy in the world with the largest prison population there's ever been anywhere yeah. in history. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. I, we have more prisoners per capita than China. Yep. China. <laughs> yeah, so, and their population's just a touch higher. Yeah. By about just, tenfold. Just a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, the reason I talk about this stuff is because we need to. And I think it's the reason we all talk about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's You need to have a conversation about this shit. When they propose a measure to allow the FBI to do basically pre-crime checks on people, you've got a problem. But the thing I I like seeing and I like reading different foreign press um, and, and getting a real feel for it, because it's not just here. It's not just where you are or where I am. This is a global thing, and it's almost like it's reactionary to what's coming with the financial market. And I know all that sounds screwed up, but it's kind of true. You know. I don't know what else to say about that. Um, So that was cheerful. (laughs) (laughs) My God. I don't know how you guys can stand listening to this sometimes. You're so full of unicorns and rainbows and peace symbols lately. It's just... (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) No, we're not. No, we're not. But, uh, yeah, I don't have time for this either. It looks like we're like six minutes away from the CASA update. So, does anybody have an amusing story? (laughs) Not really. Because I've got one about a copyright troll, patent troll. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every once in a while, I like come on something that's quite funny. And, you know, that's another website thing, whatever, that I know absolutely nothing about. 
Yeah, I'm, I don't. I have to get my kids to educate me, I think. Yeah, I don't give a damn. I've, I've got one. I've got two, actually. And I know nothing about it. Tumblr's biggest copyright troll is a guy who says he knows an alien. Tumblr's GIF artists are upset, and rightfully so. Their works are being pulled off the web due to rogue copyright claims signed by a man who claims to have spent the past 30 years channeling an alien from the future. At least nine artists say that in recent months, their original works have been taken down from Tumblr, replaced by a DMCA notice. The 1998 Digital Millennium Copyrights Act created a system whereby any website that wants to host user-submitted content, Tumblr is a prime example, is incentivized to immediately take down material that allegedly infringes on someone else's copyright. Tumblr doesn't provide much of an opportunity for recourse for users accused of infringement. The company even told those artists affected that if they're caught committing three more copyright infractions within 18 months, their accounts will be terminated. There's an unmistakable pattern to these takedowns, though. Every one of these notices was signed by Daryl Anka, or Bashir Communications. And who is Daryl Anka, you might ask? He is, according to his a official website, a man chosen as a channel to Bashir, who's of extraterrestrial origin, a friend from the future. And there's a YouTube video of him channeling his buddy which is pretty terrible i don't think we want to play it but maybe we can stick the link in chat to be clear all my gifts are made by me and this blog is almost always the first place they are shared an artist named charlie who goes by big blue boo wrote on his blog he shared one of his works that was nuked by the notice note the lack of aliens from the future one of the removes, uh, actually, hang on. Here is where it should be. And it doesn't exist because it's a false DMCA claim. Yes, I know. I talked about aliens soon. <laughs> I was going to say, Mudflat called you. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's all right. You spent a long time trying to, you know, discredit the teleporter. Yeah, I couldn't help it. I just think it's funny. I mean, you need to watch the video of this guy because you'll understand why I think it's funny. Well, this whole copyright thing, um, it's on. It's happening on YouTube as well, but more deliberately. Uh, yeah. There's... The, the biggest Nigerian scam now seems to be they hit people's YouTube videos saying they have <laughs> copyright right. infringements uh, and you have to pay them to get your video put back up. I mean, it's it's the same thing as being hit by ransomware on your computer, you know? Yeah. We'll unlock your computer, but you've got to pay us. Yeah. We'll take down the claim that, the claim that you infringed on our copyright, but you've got to pay us. Because, yeah, VTTV uh, have uh, had quite a few from this one Nigerian company. <laughs> so, oh, it's, it's our music. You can't use that. And we're like, it, it's not your music. <laughs> it's from Video Blocks or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I, I, 
YouTube as well. You know, if you get three strikes, yeah, your stuff, all your yeah. stuff gets taken down. So yeah, right. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I guess now would be the time to get Alex. Then. Okay. Alex and Carl, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, here we go. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, Hi. Okay. Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 7-6-2015. Hi, Alex. And hi, Carl. How are you this evening? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Um, whoever wants to go first, please feel free because we're really looking forward to hearing this. That'd be great. Well, I don't know. My, mine is pretty quick. So if you want to get that out of the way, um, or we sure. can the end. Okay. No, sure. We'll, go with, we'll get the legislative done first. That's always the most fun. Okay. Um, so yeah, like I said, really quick, um, we just released kind of an updated call to action for California today. Right. Um, SB 140 is headed to a hearing in the Committee on Governmental Organization. Um, so we've put together a fully editable pre-written email for people to send. Uh, anybody in California obviously can participate, but we really want to get people who live in districts represented by members of the committee. Right. So uh, if you haven't received an email from us today, it's because you don't live in one of those districts. Um, we tried to get this out there specifically for those people. I think it was like 760 people. Um, so if you did get an email from us, please uh, participate. You live in an important district. And we need you to, uh, you know, your voice obviously carries more weight. And California is very strict about receiving communications from people that don't live in their districts. Um, we found that out the hard way a few months ago. Right. Um, so, uh, and of course, anybody who wants uh, up to the minute updates on SB 140, uh, please check in with NorCal, Safada. Uh, they've been doing a really good job of mobilizing people and providing detailed information about California legislation. Uh, and I believe they are organizing a get-together, uh, I think it's 1.30 uh, in Sacramento at the Capitol on Wednesday. That's July okay. 8th. Um, and so check in with the Not Blowing Smoke folks, check in with NorCal Safada. They're going to have lots of information and that will be good. Um, and so really quickly, uh, we haven't, I haven't entirely sunk my teeth into this, uh, moving on, uh, Massachusetts has a pack of bills that we will likely be releasing a call to action for later this week. So I just want to mention that so that when we get that up, we can put that in the notes okay. for the podcast and right. shocking, shockingly, I've got the legislative update done in under five minutes. So damn you're good that's <laughs> <laughs> just lucky all right yeah <laughs> well that looks like they'll uh 
it'll leave more time for for me to come on this uh, podcast. By the way, this is this is Carl Phillips. Uh, I'm not normally on this podcast, so for those of you who might not recognize my voice, I, I hope you know my name. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I I hope to uh, take the opportunity for for the finally slowing down legislation to come on this podcast and, and talk about some of the the uh, research, scientific, and and so forth work that we're doing. Um, but today I'm here to um, announce a new crowdsourcing plan for a new research project, and we'll put the details up on our blogs and our social media tomorrow. Um, that's Tuesday, July 7th, for those of you listening to this later, um, so you can get more details there, uh, but we wanted to introduce the idea and provide a bit of the background on this podcast tonight. Um, I think many of you, most of you know that we have the CASA Research Fund. Um, its inaugural uh, mission, of course, was to design and fund the, the study by Igor Burstyn about the chemistry of e-cigarette vapor and liquid, which is probably the most important paper still um, on the topic of e-cigarettes. So, so we're very proud of that and what the research, has done, research fund has done. Um, our goal with this fund is to identify very high bang for the buck research um, that will be important for tobacco harm reduction advocacy. And we think we've identified another such project um, to provide the definitive rebuttal of all of those gateway claims that you see floating around out there. Um, in, in case you don't know, the, the gateway claim is a classic refuge of, of somebody who, who wants to condemn a low-risk drug or, or behavior um, but can't come up with any reason based on its actual effects to do so. So what they claim is that it causes people to go on to, to do something that is harmful for them. And of course, the gateway claim all over the place about e-cigarettes right now is that they're going to cause people to take up smoking. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And okay, right. We're all sitting here saying, yeah, why do you even need to write a paper to say anything about it? And the answer is because it's getting so much traction um, among policymakers, legislators. I mean, Alex could uh, speak to, to this. Um, I, I suspect it comes up in every last one of these hearings that you deal with. Am I right? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, a- it's, it's distracting. It's it's so, it, and it's usually off completely, almost unrelated to what the bill they're talking about is uh, is, is addressing. It's just it's one of those kind of you know they just they just want to twist the knife a little bit. It's almost like you know there's an indoor use ban being talked about, and oh the children are going to start smoking. It's it just it, it's it's absurd. Right, if people are vaping in bars, yes, um, yes, it, it, it's 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 utterly absurd. But but the fact is that it gets traction. It's it's part. Of, it's even part of the FDA's discussion. Um, but. What we don't have, as obvious as it is how absurd the claim is, what we don't have is something we can point to and say, here's the definitive rebuttal of, of all the, the gateway claims. Well, we, we sort of have that. Um, you might have seen my paper um, that was circulated as a working paper on the blogs and then um, and has now appeared in the uh, – 
see if I can get the whole name right, International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Um, and you know, it basically shows what research would be needed to provide any evidence whatsoever that, that a gateway claim is occurring. Um, the, the difficulty here is that this paper is a highly technical methods paper. Uh, it's not optimized for advocacy purposes. It requires the reader to, to apply the methods that are in it. So if somebody's making a gateway claim, pointing to some awful paper by Stanton Glantz and saying, well, they said they, they showed evidence of a gateway effect here, um, uh -huh. it's, it's necessary to, to actually step through the analysis and show why it doesn't stand up to scrutiny for for the methods that I presented, and and you know that's that's a good start. You have to start with something like that, but it's not a perfect piece for for advocacy. And so the new research that that's being proposed, and the research project would be led by by Dr. Karen Hevener, who's been working with me on tobacco harm reduction research for seven, eight years now, um, wrote some of the first research on, on e-cigarettes and, and some other topics, um, along with Catherine Nissen, who um, worked with us when um, Karen and I and Catherine were all at the University of Alberta, um, and myself, um, to review all of the papers, blogs, and other claims that are being put out there as evidence that there is a gateway effect and using the methods that, that I developed in this paper. And again, you know, the, the full details, the, the, you know, actual research protocol and so forth will be out for everybody to, to see tomorrow. Um, so um, I'm just trying to summarize here, but, you know, basically I, I provide a list of uh, about eight steps that you have to look for evidence of a gateway effect. And, and the fact is, to my knowledge, not a single one of these papers that are out there or blog posts or, or whatever actually comes anywhere close to, to meeting um, the necessary, uh, you know, to going through the necessary steps to actually provide evidence that, that there is a gateway effect. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of legwork involved here. You've got to go through every last one of these papers um, review them and say, nope, not this one, nope, not this one, nope, not this one. And so the research plan is to go through those papers, um, you know, using the scholarly databases to find and identify them, but also to go through blogs, testimony, um, postings on, you know, authoritative websites at various, you know, various government and advocacy groups where, where they make one of these claims and right. trace all of these back to, to whatever basis um, that they're claiming evidence for a gateway effect. So, you know, you have this massive web of repeating statements that, that ultimately all trace back to a few papers and those papers can be shown to not actually support the conclusion. So pulling all of this together, um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a rather nightmarish project in terms of the scope of the work. But, but what it does is it promises to produce a nice little crystallized single paper or two that say every last one of these claims is debunked here. Um, right. and we can, we can point to that. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, getting to, getting to the, uh, nuts and bolts of the 
crowdsourcing, um, the budget for this is a modest $15,000. Again, the research fund is all about big bang for the buck, um, and this is cheaper than about any research project you'll, you'll ever find. Um, and even better, the Kassav Board of Directors voted to match every dollar donated on a one-for-one -one basis. So with that matching fund, we need the community to, to donate $7,500 um, to the research fund in order to, to be able to launch this project, which we think mm -hmm. will be critical for advocacy. And, well, that, that's Alex's area. He can uh, <laughs> jump in there. Well, um, I, I can't speak much for the advocacy, but I can tell you, um, just reading all the stories I read every week, the more they bring up the gateway theory, the more it's reflected in comments by, you know, normal people, the hearts and minds we're supposed to be trying to win over and, and telling that vaping will be better for their loved ones than smoking will. They're starting to believe those claims too. We need to refute that. Yeah, exactly, and it it would be particularly effective to be able to, you know, drop a single link to to one research paper from a journal um, that says mm -hmm. every last one of these claims has been rebutted. There is okay. no evidence that suggests there's a gateway effect. Yeah, well, I yes, mean, it's. It there, there's some. There's a bit of. I, I don't know how far this would go legislatively. Obviously, going forward, it's particularly useful to rebut certain claims. You know, the the, the walking billboard um, claim that they used. They they trotted out in New York City and other places for prohibiting public use, uh, especially in outdoor uh, spaces. Um, but a lot of the preambles to these bills include some mention of youth use, especially now that, that the CDC has released their figures and different states have released their figures and, and it's all being reported with shock and awe. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it would be absolutely very handy, especially in a Twitter conversation, you know, <laughs> to, just, to just drop a nice link and say, nope, that one is wrong. Nope, that one's wrong too. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Well, it kind of, when Carl talks about tracing all those blog posts and stuff back, it, it kind of almost reminds me of, um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen uh, the film Mindhunter, where they're taking and they're putting these pins into the map to trace down a serial killer. That's kind of what it looks like it's going to involve, but on, in a more technical sort of way. Yeah, well, I, you know, I actually did this once um, a long time ago, t over 10 years ago, um, with some of the claims that were being made about smokeless tobacco. Um, and, you know, it was really fascinating. We ended up producing this, you know, gigantic poster-sized diagram. Now there's much better software for this. I, I, I actually look forward <laughs> to seeing how this plays out. There are all these cool networking software and everything. And um, But, you know, basically manually created back then the, this, this big, huge diagram that, uh, um, you know, listed various authorities making claims, you know, the National Cancer Institute, the CDC, the Mayo Clinic and everything, and right. tracing these back to the racer you know they, they so many of them just trace back to each other but then you know ultimately <laughs> you tra trace them back and you know basically all of these 
claims in in that particular case traced back to a single research paper, you know, which had which a single outlier result that's never been replicated. Um, And you know, so the the, you know the the more technical research that I've already done on this topic that lays the groundwork for uh, for for Karen's more practical research here is. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of shows that you know nobody even makes nobody seems to even make a prima facie case um, for why a gateway would exist. Um, they don't explain what it is they're claiming. You know, are they are they claiming that in all the history of the world, a single person will be caused to start smoking um, as a result of this? Well, you know, obviously you could never, never um, find evidence one way or another on that. Mm-hmm. Or are they claiming that, you know, half these kids who have experimented with e-cigarettes are going to end up becoming smokers as a result, which is, you know, what they're trying to imply and something right. would be very easy to see in the data if it were actually true, which, which mm-hmm. of course it isn't. <laughs> um, and then of course, you know, the biggest problem of course is that um, the people who are trying to, you know, make up the claim that there's evidence for a gateway effect um, seem to use the same tactic over and over again in which they, they show that the same Younger people, um, teens or young adults who mm-hmm. have smoked have also tried e-cigarettes. Um, and, right. you know, and we say, uh, yeah, because they're using them for the same reason adults are for for tobacco harm reduction. Oh and um, but you know, if you're just looking for you know, just see a correlation in the data, um, you get the same correlation if there were hypothetically a gateway effect. Um, or if every single person is trying to use it for tobacco harm reduction, um, mm-hmm. you know. So if if you were to do if you were to do this research, um, you know, asking people who are currently fifty years old, um, you know, have you ever smoked? Have you ever used an e-cigarette? You know what? You're gonna you're gonna find yeah. a strong correlation there. Um, yeah. But that's not because uh, adults are taking up smoking; it's because they're quitting smoking. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it, it's. It's frustrating. I know I tried to trace back just comments one time in a California newspaper, and I traced the comments all the way back to a seventh grade project that these four kids won tickets to go see a movie for. And they were the first ones I could find making the claim on a video. And then all of a sudden it was just like everywhere in California. It's it's almost like the game Telephone. And that's just like newspaper comments. So I can't even imagine what it would take to try and do this for real scientific. Well, all right. What it would take to reverse engineer what, what passes for scientific research to disprove it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting approach and, um, you know, when we, when we think of scientific research, you know, we think of labs or doing a new survey or, you know, developing analysis methods like like the the paper I did that's a jumping off point for this but but sometimes you know just getting into the muck of where suppose you know information and I use the term loosely you know <laughs> true or false right mm-hmm. where information comes from can be um incredibly 
interesting, and that's what this project would would do. But you know, it's not it's not so glamorous as a lot of these other areas of research, and it, and it's a hard slog. But you know, it it can just be so incredibly useful, and you know, I think mm-hmm. that this this is an example of that. Yeah, well, I think we need it. So when the information goes up tomorrow, I'm going to be the first one who donates. Well, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and everybody, um, you know, obviously any donations, large or small, are great. If you don't feel like you can um, donate very much, donate a token amount, and we'll be able to, you know, talk about the hundreds or thousands of people who, who supported this. Um, you know, obviously we appreciate any donation of, of any size. Um, we, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll never forget um, when we first launched the the research fund um, to to fund that that paper that you know was ultimately written by by Burston that research project that we had had proposed and recruited him to to do and we were thinking okay you know in, in a month we ought to be able to raise the the twenty thousand dollars that we need to to do that and that you know that one was mm-hmm. another another great bargain and and we right. fully funded it in less than four days um yeah i'm, I'm no, not I'm, 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 I'm not i'm not necessarily saying that that's our goal <laughs> here or anything um it, but, it was it was amazing it was amazing yeah. to see it and the way everybody came together i mean it, to me this is necessary. You need to understand where the lies come from, and you got to untangle the web. And this is critical for that. It's critical for it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it would be great if uh, if we could do ten other projects like this, and you know, maybe this would would inspire some some other researchers too. It might lay lay the groundwork. Um, I mean, this 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 is this is the type of. Uh, the type of research that um, nobody ever does, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's really true. I mean, you know, uh-huh. I, I gave the example of that project I did 10 years ago. I haven't done anything like it since. I can't think of anybody else doing anything in this space that's like it mm-hmm. since, since then. Um, we all, you know, we, we have these thoughts, like like you were telling us, Jan, you know, saying, I wonder where that comes from and tracing it back and everything. Um mm-hmm. And you know, actually taking that up a notch and, and turning it into you know real proper scientific research and getting it into a journal and everything um, <laughs> means yeah. that you don't. It means that you don't have to do that again every single time because you yeah. have something to point to. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's awesome. That's great. I, I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to read. I well, you know, I read a bunch of these things, so I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it completed. I can't well, wait. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. And like you know, like I said, I, I want you know in this in this forum, I don't want to belabor it any, but there there will be as much to read about it as as anybody wants to who wants to to dig into the details of of what the research plan is. There's a you know a full research protocol um you know exactly as if someone were submitting a grant to uh to to a federal agency or something sure it would be nice if the federal agencies would fund stuff like this but we know they're not exactly on our side so uh, that's that's why we got to do it ourselves yeah unfortunately but you know uh doing it yourself also kind of ensures that you're not 
even if you were to find something that was unflattering, you would tell the truth. Do you know what I mean? You can still hold your integrity up. You're not beholden to some federal agency and coming up with their conclusions, which is what they want. Yep. Whether yep. they say it in so many words or not. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> when, when, when I spoke at the, at the last FDA workshop on, on e-cigarettes and they make everybody, uh, you know, give this conflict of interest disclosure and, and so forth – I led mine off by pointing out that uh, that I'm there representing CASA, the consumers, the real stakeholders here, and that's right. no conflict of interest with the science because the consumers are the only people in this whole political mess who actually want the full truth and nothing but the truth. Um, yes. every, everybody else has a game to play, an agenda to pursue. Um, Consumers, consu- you know, if you know, if we're talking about health issues, you know, that's different project. But you know, if we're talking about health issues, consumers legitimately want to know if if there's a risk. They don't want it sugar coated. They want to be able to make a, a good decision. Um, and so, you know, that's that that is you know something that's great about being able to work with CASA is yeah. that uh, is that only the truth matters. That's right. No more lies. Um, well, true, right? Um, so I want to thank both of you for coming on this evening and for talking about the research project. I'm super excited about it. Um, I, I can't wait to go through all of it and I can't wait to donate. Thank you for coming on. Have a great evening. Thanks. Thank you. Good night. Good night. I think, uh, Jan, I think people will be just dumbfounded when they see where all of this stuff traces back to. Oh, I think, um, well, like, I, I just talked about that, finding that stupid gateway theory going back to a stupid video. I mean, that was ridiculous. And I was showing somebody, and they're going, that can't possibly be it. And I'm going, yeah, these are just comments. <coughs> this is not claims being made by scientists and doctors. And people who want to regulate the industry out of existence. So imagine where those claims come from. Well, what I find interesting is it will make a nice accompaniment to um, Ash UK's smoking toolkit survey. Oh, hell yeah. Which is also showing there is no gateway. Well, there is. They're doing the current know. research. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so going to be great. So it's you'll have the one great. paper that's tracking down where all the bullshit's coming from. And then you have the actual research paper... Which is showing you that it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of need to find out where the claims are coming from. Yeah. If you can find out where the bad science is, maybe you can stop it. You know what I mean? Put a plug in it. Put a pin in it. Stop it. Well, why does my instinct tell me that a lot of it will trace back to University of California or something? Oh, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to say it out loud. But yeah, yeah, I have sneaking suspicion too. It, it's, but- it seems to be the place where... Lots of lies start. Yeah, well, you can't call it lies, but what you can call it is... Um, I can call sci- it lies. Sci- I, I, I'm not a scientist. Uh, scientific incompetence. That's what I'm going to call it. Scientific incompetence. Boy, am I glad that like the aunties don't listen to this portion of the show. <laughs> they, they, only, they only listen to the Casa podcast, and the only reason I know that is because I can see the hits we get on SoundCloud and who hits and when. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I, I can see how many of them come from universities and stuff. It's pretty interesting. And it's, I, I don't think the podcasts are, um, they're a good update. I don't think they're all that um, interesting, although this one will be. <laughs> so, um, okay. Um, now I can get back to depressing everybody. Yay. <laughs> Yay! I know. It's excellent. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Wisconsin votes to hide all government actions from the public. A bill to hide government actions, both large and small, from public scrutiny is quietly making its way through the Wisconsin legislature. A budget committee voted to approve the bill Thursday along party lines with only Republicans voting for it. It still must pass both houses and be signed into law by the governor. The dismantling of Wisconsin's open record laws is unprecedented and would enable lawmakers to hide their actions from the media and the public. The bill would effectively draw a curtain over the government's actions as it would extend to legislative aides, committee hearings, oversight, and all communications, even down to school board meetings. <sighs> Wisconsin Republicans on the Joint Finance Committee refused to say who had proposed the bill. Some activists, however, are crying foul. Some? Bill Luders, president of the Wisconsin Freedom of Information Council, told USA Today the bill would damage the democratic process. These radical and sweeping changes represent a full frontal attack on Wisconsin's history of open government. They are clearly intended to block the public from discovering what factors drive the official actions of government, especially when the le- especially the legislature, and will inevitably lead to abuse, malfeasance, and corruption. Other groups are also concerned about the Wisconsin government attempt to hide its actions from an inquiring public. These groups include the Wisconsin Freedom of Information Council, Madison Chapter of the Science Society of Professional Journalists, One Wisconsin Now, McIver Institute for Public Policy, and the conservative Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. This isn't the first time the Wisconsin government has attempted to hide its actions from the light of day. In 2013, lawmakers tried to remove the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism from the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus. The move to hide the dealings of the Wisconsin government comes as Governor Scott Walker is about to begin his bid for president and the bill would enable him to hide data on the state's job creation bill that has come under scrutiny. Joel Christopher, vice president of news for Garrett Wisconsin Media, told USA Today the move to hide Wisconsin's government actions moves the state in the wrong direction. Governing in secrecy strikes at a fundamental value of representative democracy. This proposal should be frightening and worrisome for all Wisconsin residents. Other bills being considered by the Wisconsin legislature this year include removing workers' rights to not work weekends. Wisconsin is the only one only one of 13 states requiring businesses to give workers one day off a week, but that too could soon be a thing of the past. Yeah. Need to send in Bartleby and Loki. <laughs> send them into the 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 government chambers see what happens it's uh it's ridiculous it happens i mean it it happens every year but it's just kind of funny that it just keeps happening to know what we're doing yeah Uh well they're always allowed to know what we're doing we're just not allowed to know what they're doing or to question them or 
anything like that. Yeah. You know, and we're not allowed to try to hide ourselves online because that just makes their job harder. Apparently, you're not allowed to have a day off. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I don't know. Wisconsin's kind of got its issues there. That's all I can say about it. Jeannie, thoughts? Any? Okay. Are we surprised that they're stomping on us? No, I'm not surprised they're stomping on us. I, I don't know how anybody can be surprised, but I'm the only reason I shared that one is because you're going to be reading, I'm assuming I hope I'm wrong that you'll be reading headlines like that in your own local paper I hope not I want to be wrong, please let me be wrong that would make me happy Um, let's see we talked about the NSA I don't think I can talk about Egypt because it'll make me cry um, okay, here's here's a story that makes me mad. Uh, David Cameron is going to try and ban encryption in Britain. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't say he was going to win. I just said he was going to try. Um, David Cameron has signaled that he intends to ban strong encryption, putting the British government on a collision course with some of the biggest tech companies in the world. As reported by Politics UK, politics.co.uk, the British Prime Minister reaffirmed his commitment to tackling strong encryption products in Parliament on Monday in response to a question. Strong encryption refers to the act of scrambling information in such a way that it cannot be understood by anyone, even law enforcement with a valid warrant or the software company itself, without the correct key or password. It's currently used in some of the most popular tech products in the world, including the iPhone, WhatsApp, and Facebook, but heightened terrorism fears. And David, but dis, but amid heightened, ter- this is horribly written. Look at, but amid heightened terrorism fears, there's the end of the sentence. Should be a comma, not a period. David Cameron is attempting to take action. Encryption is a contentious issue right now. Over the last year, encryption has become a hot tech policy issue. Following exiled whistleblower Edward Snowden's revelations about mass surveillance online by the NSA and other spy agencies, tech companies have increasingly moved to incorporate strong encryption into their products to protect consumer data. And simultaneously, governments and law enforcement officials have upped their rhetoric, warning that the proliferation of such tech could help terrorists and criminals evade capture. When Apple implemented strong encryption by default in late 2014, for example, a senior U.S. police officer warned that the iPhone would become the phone of choice for the pedophile as a result. And European police chief Rob Wainwright said in March 2015 that encryption is now the biggest problem in tackling terrorism. I don't think that's true. It's a difficult situation. On one hand, it's easy to sympathize with law enforcement who fear that large amounts of communication data that it previously had access to are now going dark. But security experts warn that any attempt to weaken encryption or introduce back doors for the authorities can have unintended and dangerous consequences. There's no back door that can only be used by the good guys, they argue, and weakening tech will put consumers at risk from criminals and hackers. As it currently stands, it's already legal for Britons to refuse to surrender their passwords or encryption keys, and you can be jailed for doing so. But if someone refuses to talk or they can't be found, 
and police need to access communications data urgently, then this isn't much help. In the aftermath of the Charlie Hebdo massacre in Paris earlier this year, Cameron first signals his intention to take action against strong encryption products. In a speech, he asked whether we want to allow a means of communication between two people, which even an extremist, with a signed warrant from the home security's personality personnel that we can't read. My answer to this question is no, we must not. The first duty of any government is to keep our country and our people safe. The inference was clear. If your encryption product cannot be intercepted and decrypted by law enforcement, even with a warrant, we're coming for you. Those comments immediately sparked a flurry of criticism from private privacy and security activists. Jim Killock, executive director of human rights organization Open Rights Group, said that Cameron's plans appear dangerous, ill-thought-out, and scary. Well, that's everything David Cameron wants to do. Um, they make us all more vulnerable to criminal attack. Author and activist Cory Doctorow also wrote a scathing takedown of Cameron's plans, arguing that if you leave a vulnerability in for law enforcement, it'll be abused by foreign spies, criminals, crooked police. A writing for The Guardian, James Ball suggested that a blanket ban on encryption would spell the end of e-commerce in the UK, since credit card details are generally always sent via secured encrypted connections. Cameron either knows his anti-terror talk is unworkable and is looking for headlines, Ball said, or he hasn't got a clue. What do you think, Barry? It's both. It's unworkable <laughs> and he hasn't got a clue. Well, I didn't think he had a clue. He's kind of a fuck-up. Well, th- th- this isn't even the, the top ten of the worst shit the British government are doing this week. So, yeah. Oh, I know. This is one of their distraction stories. Uh, mm. The <laughs> this this one does this trying to them trying to take away from the they have they have uh, redefined what child poverty is. Yeah, I, got rid I of saw child that. Poverty. So starting that, to death that, is no longer poverty anymore no. in, in the UK. No. That's it's okay. good. They've, they've, got, so, they've done away with child poverty by changing what child poverty means, and. <laughs> This is the government we've got. And the encryption thing, yeah, they're never going to be able to do it. Well, they can't if they want to have money flowing through the economy. Even the spy, the GCHQ and the like, Mm -hmm. know there needs to be encryption. Yeah. No, they do. As as was said, it's just a a story for the media to run with and people Mm -hmm. to get distracted over. Um while they get up there's, to other stuff. Well, there's a lot of those, and I don't live there. But, you know, I do my best to try and pick stories from everywhere so people can yeah. see everything's kind of the same everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, except for this. But I didn't know clue, if I wanted to talk. The cluelessness. There is always ways to communicate without the authorities knowing about it. Always. Right, but they're, generally speaking, they're reliant on older technology or, yeah. or face-to-face. Yeah, what are they um, going to do if uh, if all the terrorist organizations start using ham radios with um, <laughs> I have no with idea. And boxes I would... built into them, which are easily available. Right. I, mean, well, I, I, <laughs> I think they would have no idea what to do. Well, really, they'd, have to, they'd have to go into the GCHQ vaults and find their 
old old radio equipment. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, simple as that. Two-way radios <laughs> with um, scrambling on them. They, well, they can't true. they can't break into those easily either. But they don't seem to be trying to ban those. It's all mm. publicity, you know. No, yeah. It's always like I've said, you know, you watch one hand, you don't notice what the other hand's doing until it's too late. Yeah, unfortunately for Cameron, everybody in the UK is keeping a really close eye on everything they do at the minute. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, they, they, they told... Uh, well, they didn't lie in the run-up to the election. They just didn't say exactly what they were going to do. So everybody's watching them carefully to see what they're going to do. So it's their own fault, really. <laughs> well, uh, Cameron's especially egregious with some of the things he's done. I mean, you know. The, the whole cabinet's kind of, you want to mm. line them up and shoot them slightly. Well, um, you know, it, it, here's the thing. The poor always wind up paying for what the people in the top in the government do and, you know, for bailing out businesses and banks, which I mean, we know that happens. It happens all the time. It happens here. It happens there. You know, and and then it's almost like the people at the top can't wait to jump on these poor people's graves. They can't yeah. wait to kill them. It, it really bothers me. It really bothers me. And it's bothered me for a long time. Um, okay. On that happy note, should we talk about North Korea? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I probably should have saved the space alien story for last. Um, North Korean defects with data on chemical warfare tests on humans. Scientists escaped to Finland with alleged details of the Norse long-rumored use of its own citizens for chemical and biological weapons tests. A North Korean scientist who was involved in the regime's biological and chemical weapons programs has defected to Finland, apparently with evidence of tests carried out on human subjects. The researcher, who has been identified by his surname Lee, was based at a microbiology research center in Gangji. Ganji, close to the Chinese border, but defected on June 6th, South Korea's Yonhap News Agency reported. Mr. Lee, 47, fled to Finland via the Philippines, according to a group that campaigns for human rights in North Korea, on the grounds that he, quote, felt skeptical about his research, end quote. Mr. Lee was carrying an electronic data storage device allegedly containing 15 gigabytes of information on North Korea's use of humans being used to test biological and chemical weapons. He is planning to give testimony to the European Parliament in late July in order to highlight the North's abuses of its own people, the group said. Over the years, there have been a number of reports of North Korean scientists utilizing humans for weapons tests. Im Chon Yong, for example, was an officer in North Korea's special forces until he defected in the mid-1990s. During debriefing, he told South Korean intelligence officials that the final straw was seeing mentally and physically children with disabilities being used in chemical weapons tests as part of his training. 
you want to graduate from this academy, you need to learn how to confuse the enemy without revealing your own forces, how to carry out assassinations, how to use chemical weapons, and so on, he said in an interview in 2014. And then we have what they call the field learning. For the biological and chemical warfare tests, we needed objects, he said. At first, they used the chemical agents on mice and showed us how they died. Then we watched the instructors carrying out the tests on humans to show us how a person dies. I saw it with my own eyes, said Mr. M. Uh, He said the tests were conducted at at least three facilities operated by the military, including one alongside a political prison camp close to the city of Hagar. Hygari. Anthrax bacterium is frequently tested with as many as 40 different types of chemical weapons that the North Korean regime has concocted itself. In February, South Korean intelligence warned that Pyongyang had stepped up its biological and chemical warfare drills, carrying out at least a dozen large-scale exercises in the previous year. These are clearly offensive drills planning a biological attack, a South Korean officer told the Chio Ebo newspaper. We believe it could cause a real threat. A report issued in 2014 by 38 North, the respected website operated by the U.S. Korea Institute at John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, suggested that North Korea devotes a substantial amount of its resources to developing chemical weapons. Based on testimony from North Korean soldiers who have defected, the study claims that North Korea is able to manufacture 4,500 tons of chemical agents a year, but has the capacity to ramp that up to 12,000 tons a year. The chemicals that the regime is producing include hydrogen cyanide, phosgene, sarin, taboon, chlorine, and a number of agents from the mustard gas family. The study also cited former prison inmates and guards as saying that chemical and biological weapons are tested on North Korean political prisoners at special camps. The report added that North Korea has reportedly provided chemical weapons or technology to Egypt, Iran, Libya, and Syria since the late 1990s. Coming after the United Nations investigations into North Koreans' human rights abuses, Mr. Lee's testimony before the European Parliament will be closely watched. The internal community will have to collect the data if it can be verified that such experiments have taken place, and that would seem to violate international humanitarian law. I just, I can't. I'm good. I'm good with that. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a surprise, uh, and yes, no. South Korea has known this for a long time, and have spent a lot of money in making sure their army is prepared for biochemical warfare. It's more of the civilians that have got a problem, of course. <laughs> it's always the civilians who have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. yeah. Good old anthrax, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always a keeper, that one. Yeah. <laughs> always a keeper. I don't know. Uh, I'd prefer know we didn't. T- they, know it takes, uh, they know it takes close to 70 years to eradicate it. Mm. Yeah, anthrax spores. Thanks to, yeah, UK government. It was us that weaponised it first. So, yeah, we, 
we, we know from that little island we infected with it that, yeah, it takes 70 years to clean it up afterwards. Yeah, it's just scary. Yeah. I mean, the the, the other gases mentioned, the cyanide, false genes, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just need to have a decent gas mask to <laughs> counteract <laughs> the worst effects of those. But yeah, anthrax. <laughs> That's on yeah. a whole different scale. <laughs> well, yeah, anthrax, there's really no running and hiding from. Well, I mean, you can, yeah. get, you can get a lot of vaccines. And actually, if you happen to work with animals in the army get a shit ton of them. Yeah. You get they you get you vaccines well, that'll though. make you sick for about a year. Yes, yeah. yeah, so anthrax is not easy to deal with. <laughs> no. So yeah. and, hence why it was funny when was it the C D C uh let some out by accident last year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we're just shipping this through the mail and it's live and active. And did anybody die? Good. No, nobody died? Oh damn. Yeah. That's, and these are the people who are supposed to know better. Yeah, but yeah, it's, um, not, it's not a surprise North Korea uh, has such things because, well, yeah, they they really everybody's worried about their uh, nuclear program. It's like, but yeah, that's not what they're going to use if they go to war. They can't afford to. There's no money. Uh, <laughs> chemicals are cheap. Yeah, they are. Apparently, and they're very good at making them, which is kind of hilarious because when you look at North Korea at night, there is, like, no electricity there. Yeah. Well, there is, but it's all going to the factories making all their chemicals. warfare stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all buried yeah. underground to hide from the satellites. So, yeah. Fun, fun times. Um... I guess on something on the less horrific side of the scale, if there is such a thing. Um, see, in October, they're going to start uh, all your credit cards, all your debit cards are going to have to be chipped. Do you know what I'm talking about? The smart chips? Do you, do you guys have those? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's October 1st. If you don't have those on your credit cards or debit cards um, and a place accepts a payment, and there is nothing there, you're liable for it. So, yeah. um, But MasterCard's looking to do something a little different. Um, I'm not really happy about this. Um, they're starting to use facial recognition software to authorize online payments. So that's what they're going to call two-factor authentication, which is frightening. Uh, MasterCard is testing a new way of authenticating online credit card payments, facial recognition. When you try to make a payment online, a companion MasterCard app on your phone will pop up asking for authorization. You then peer into the front-facing camera, blink once, and the app authenticates your identity via some kind of facial biometric. Hopefully, the app will automatically upload the selfie to Instagram with an artfully applied filter, too. According to CNN, MasterCard has partnered with every smartphone maker, including Apple, Samsung, Google, Microsoft, and BlackBerry, to bring the app to market. The Face Off Tech will be 
trial by 500 customers and then publicly rolled out sometime after that. Along with facial recognition, the MasterCard Companion app will also let you authenticate with a fingerprint if your smartphone has a fingerprint scanner anyway. Details are scant right now, but it sounds like this new MasterCard app is essentially providing two-factor authentication. At the moment, online purchases are secured with a password, secure code for MasterCard and verified for Visa, and the CVV digits on the back of the card. Passwords can be forgotten or misplaced, though. Two-factor authentication, where you need to physically possess some kind of token, a key, a dongle, or a characteristic, the right fingerprint, is much more secure. Basically, when you make a purchase with a MasterCard credit card, the app on your phone will use your face or fingerprint for two-factor authentication. One interesting facet of MasterCard's facial recognition system is that you need to blink. According to MasterCard security researchers, the blinking requirements prevent the system from being circumvented by holding up a still photo of your face. Of course, if you just so happen to have a video of your friend's face with them blinking, that might work. MasterCard told CNN that it doesn't store an image of your finger or face, but rather a digital signature of your body parts physical characteristics. MasterCard said that it won't be able to reconstruct an image of your face from that signature, but it did admit, at least during the trial, your biometric data would be stored on central servers rather than locally on your phone. MasterCard says it's also experimenting with voice and heartbeat recognition. Heartbeat recognition is particularly convenient because it can be performed passively by some kind of wristband. It is worth noting that none of these biometrics, finger, face, voice, heartbeat, are particularly secure, but they're more secure than just a password on its own. Uh, Yeah, I don't have a credit card, and (laughs) I wouldn't use MasterCard anyway. Yeah. Lucky for Well, I know. Uh, But, you know... I have a Visa debit card, uh, Mm -hmm. and for more secure payments, it requires me to use a little handset thing that the bank sent me. I put the Uh card into, and it generates random codes. It's linked to the card. So, yeah. (laughs) That's the extra security my bank uses. Well, you know. But they're not a big company looking to gather biometric data on people either. No. For God knows what reason. Not that I consider big business suspect, of course. Yeah, but (laughs) this type of security (laughs) is just... Yeah. It's not secure, as it says in the story. It's... Yes, it's better than a password, but there, as I say, I have a my bank sent me a handset for confirming card details, right? Um, which but is much better than using biometrics, which mm-hmm. can get got round. So, for somebody I'm, to pretend to be me and do certain stuff on my bank account, they need to steal the cards, my and my handset. Right. I don't even know where the handset is at the minute. <laughs> Well, then you must not need anything too big. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I've done all the damage I can stand for the evening. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, I, this show needs to lighten up a little bit. Hopefully the news will be much better next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. it always is, right? Europe will fall into civil war. 
Yeah. Oh God! Don't say ever be invading like that. Greece. Yeah. <laughs> IMF seizing the Parthenon. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> that, that would really be horrific, actually. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it. I used to think it's certain. Oh crap! You know what? I said I was going to talk about this, and I didn't do it. Okay. Just because. I think you deserve to know. This online anonymity box puts you a mile away from your IP address. In the game of anonymity versus surveillance online, the discovery of a user's IP address usually means game over. But if Ben Claude Hill has his way, a network snoop who successfully hunts a user through layers of proxy connections to a final IP address would be met with a dead end while the anonymous user remains safe at home more than a mile away. At the upcoming DEF CON hacker conference in Las Vegas next month, Claude Hill plans to unveil ProxyHam, a hardware proxy designed to use a radio connection to add a physical layer of obscurification to an Internet user's location. His open-source device, which he built for $200, connects to Wi-Fi and relays a user's Internet connection over a 900 megahertz radio connection to their faraway computer with a range of between 1 and 2.5 miles, depending on interference from the landscape and buildings. That means even if investigators fully trace the user's internet connection, they'll find only the proxy hand box, the person planted in a remote library, cafe, or other public place, and not their actual location. Claude Hill, a researcher for the consultancy Rhino Security Labs, compares his tool to a typical tactics to hide the source of an internet connection, like using a neighbor's Wi-Fi or working from a coffee shop instead of home. But the problem with Wi-Fi as a protocol is that you can't get the range you need. If the FBI kicks down the door, it may not be my door, but it'll also be so close that they can hear me breathe, says Claude Hill. Proxy Ham gives you all the benefits of being able to be at a Starbucks or some other remote location, but without physically being there. Proxy Ham, which Claude Hill says he'll offer for sale at cost to DEF CON's attendees, will also teach users how to build with instructions on his website. And Proxy Ham's GitHub page, both available after DEF CON, is actually two devices. The first part is the box the size of a large dictionary containing a Raspberry Pi computer connected to a Wi-Fi card and a small 900 megahertz antenna, all of which is meant to be plugged in at some inconspicuous public place. Claude Hill suggests a dark corner of a public library. On either end of the radio connection, the user plugs in the 900 megahertz antenna into his Ethernet port. Um, Claude Hill uses a giant Yagi antenna, but says a much smaller $57 flat patch antenna works too. Claude Hill intends proxy ham to protect sensitive internet users such as dissidents and whistleblowers for whom tools like VPNs and even the anonymity software Tor may not provide sufficient security. If an attacker can manage to install malware on a user's PC, for instance, that malware can circumvent Tor and send the user's IP address directly to the attacker. But with ProxyHam, that malware attack would only lead investigators to the ProxyHam device, not the user. The KGB isn't kicking in your door, said Clarehelm. They're kicking in the door of the library 2.5 miles away. So I thought that was just interesting. It's also flawed, but I won't go into that. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Such it's a start. Such proxy boxes have been around for a while. This is not new. Mm -hmm. This is just a guy who's putting it out there. Um, but yeah, right. it has got flaws. For instance, uh, any public library I know would know. <laughs> yeah, what's that in the corner? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter how dark the corner is, a librarian will spot it. Uh, well, certainly in the UK, I don't know about in the US, but most um, most librarians are pretty pretty uh, aware of what's in their building usually. Right. And suspicious, a lot of suspicious boxes turning up in the corner is going to draw some attention. Mudflap says it doesn't have audio. Can anybody it's, else hear us? It's still going out. Okay. Um, so refresh. Okay, sorry, go ahead. But, yeah, so, I mean, it's not new technology, and, yeah, it's got flaws. For instance, yeah, governments tend to be really good at tracing radio signals. They've been doing that since radio was invented. So once they've found your proxy box, if you're not aware they've found your proxy box, you're and screwed. you're still using it, they can trace where the box is connecting to anyway. Right. Because it's giving out a, a, a an encrypted signal. They can mm -hmm. lock onto that signal and follow it. <laughs> so right. it'll still find you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's not ideal. Right. It gives you a bit more time, but other than that... Well, I mean, in places like Cairo, in, in places where the government has come down like an iron fist on the people, yeah. I can understand wanting something cheap you know what I mean? To give but people a little more time. All in all, if 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 you're doing stuff that you think the government's going to be kicking your door down for, you don't do it at home. <laughs> it's as simple as that. As it said in the story, you go to a coffee shop that's got Wi-Fi and you start. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. It's, well, yeah, it's common sense. I mean, yeah, the, but the you, you talk about common no sense. sense. How many people really? actually have that these days? Yeah. But the, this guy, yeah, it's well-intentioned, but it doesn't actually do what he thinks it does. Okay. Well? N not from my standpoint, anyway. <laughs> well, say, yep. if I if I want to do something dodgy, I will go and use internet somewhere that is not my house. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, that stands. I mean, that's... If you didn't learn that lesson as a child making a prank call when caller ID came out, you'll never know it. Mm. Know what I mean? Do something stupid, don't do it from home. Yeah. So, always the best advice. Do something stupid, do it on somebody else's property. With lots of other people around. Yeah. So you minimize your chances of getting caught. So, wow, yeah, that I, was I really some, bad, <laughs> really bad advice. I somehow he's going to sell many of his boxes. Except really yeah. stupid people who don't know about data security. Well, yeah, but how many, how many, think about how many reporters out there actually know about data security at all. Yeah. Very few. Or if, you, if you were to ask most reporters what their public key was, they couldn't tell you. They have no clue. Yeah. None. Oh, and a lot of these people don't even know that air gapping a computer is not a total fail safe. No. They think it is. They think, oh, I've got everything on this computer that's never touched the internet in general. That That's no guarantee. 
all this stuff you think is keeping you safe. Well, it, it might be. But you're just not fucking paranoid enough, I guess. If, if, <laughs> really. hacker, if hackers, um, that includes the government, really, really want to know stuff about you, they find it out. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. I guess the idea is just to make it easier for people who... Easier for people who want to resist. Maybe there is no way to do that, but it doesn't mean people should stop trying. Don't do sensitive internet stuff that you don't want people to know about from your (laughs) own location, like I said. And use a Linux computer using a secure, well, the secure Linux version. You know, Mm. much like particular reporters did when they're uh, working with Edward Snowden. Yeah, that's true. And even and they then, ditched the equipment afterwards. <laughs> well, yeah. True. It's not it's not cheap if you want to be really secure. You've got to buy lots of stuff that you don't mind throwing away after a few uses. Yeah, I think a lot of people are allergic to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying. But yeah, yeah, most, you... most people don't realise each individual computer has a signature, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they can trace it back to what computer something was done on. So, yeah, it's not just a case of masking your IP. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to mask your computer's unique fingerprint. Yeah. Which, I, I think people have the mistaken idea that the only things that have, like, fingerprints or identifiable things are are signed programs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. That's, that's not true either. The, the actual processors inside all your electronic devices each have a unique signature so yeah your yeah, phone well. your phone your washing machine your hoover your toaster <laughs> anything that's got a microchip in it basically has a unique signature wow you're really making me feel secure here <laughs> hey, wow this makes me want to go back to like 1920s technology well that's what a lot of Really, the, the the hacker commune in uh, Berlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of typewriters get used there. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? And and even they don't get used for too long because <laughs> typewriters produce a unique characteristic as well. But yeah. Uh huh. Yes, they do. Yep. People don't realize that. They obviously haven't watched enough old spy films. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Alright, so to be clear, if you want to be safe, don't do stuff from home. Try to do stuff in person, not around security cameras. Don't carry a fucking phone with you. And mm-hmm. apparently travel on foot. Yeah. Is that about it? Well, public transport's usually okay, but remember to not take a direct route to where I'm <laughs> going. That's unless you're me, then don't travel by foot because you trip and fall down. <laughs> And you can't stick your hands out to catch yourself, so you just smash face and go. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Morris says wear a foil hat. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. What's that really going to protect you from? Crazy ideas? Teleporters. <laughs> Sunburn. Uh, yeah. But not lightning strikes. No. No, that's going to make you more attractive for lightning strikes. Just yeah. saying. 
So, yeah. I guess that's it for the evening. Um, Advert. Advert. Thank you. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Ammoseek.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.